Next up, number 666, March 11th, 2021. Hi there, this is Susie from In His Shoes Ministries. Thanks for tuning into the next step with Father Vodskin. We are the voice of Armadoxy, a weekly podcast started in 2008 that looks at life through the lens of Armenian Orthodoxy. We reach out to those who are searching for practical and deeper applications of faith, the disenfranchised members of the church community, and the neophyte, those who are discovering truths in ancient Orthodoxy. If you're joining us for the first time, we're so glad you're here. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back. Now, let's get ready to take the next step. Do you think it's possible to have agape love here on earth? Is that, is that fair? Is that a fair question? I mean, are we aiming too high? Is it possible for somebody to demonstrate agape love, unconditional love? or what sometimes is referred to as God's love here on earth. You wonder about it. Jesus, of course, the Lamb of God, God incarnate, makes that gesture up on the cross. In his love, what is crucified, actually? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What is crucified is life, is truth, the way. What is crucified the light of the world. What is crucified? Love. And what does love do? It gives, right? And what does love say from the cross? Forgive. Forgive. They don't know what they're doing. I mean, it's it's really wild. When you think about agape love, when you think about God loving us so much, that he cares for us so much that he gives us the very best. When you think about a kind of love that we do not deserve, I'm just going through some of the definitions that we hear here and there about agape love. You know, this is the Greek love, the the three types that I've shared with you in the past. And for us as Armenians, we have this one word called sed. Love and in for me, at least in armadoxy, in what we're trying to pronounce over here, in that one expression of love, you find the different types of love. But in this case, I'm asking you a specific question in the Greek idea of agape love, that unconditional love, the love for which which you do not deserve, but you get anyway because of the grace of God, He gives it to us. Is there a demonstration of that love here on earth? And the reason why I'm asking, because I think I saw it today. (laughs) I think I saw it. I came pretty close to finding it. And I know that no one is perfect. I know, I know. Don't, Don't send me emails and stuff like that. Just relax. Yeah, even you. Don't send me an email. I don't want to. This is not about that. It's about seeing something that really warrants us to stop for a moment and really check it out and say, wow, that is over and above. And it happened this morning when I had to go and offer a prayer for a lady who was on her deathbed. And I went into her room, now converted into a 
hospice situation. And there I came across a hospice nurse. And it's not the first time. No, no. I've seen so many hospice nurses. But today was the first time that I kind of put it together. That we look for demonstrations of love. And these are people that are really over and above. I'm not talking about just a healthcare worker who is noble, who is who should be commended. They in themselves are heroes. But a hospice, a hospice nurse goes over and above and looks for the comfort of the patient despite the harassment that he or she might get from that patient. I mean, you go and you do something good for somebody, right? And if they turn around and yell at you, what is your first inclination? Okay, Charlie, you don't want this? I'm out of here. I mean, that that's human. We all do that, right? You do something nice for somebody and they give you something in return that isn't comparable. I'm not saying you're doing something for reward, but you want the basic courtesy, right, of a thank you. If not a thank you, you don't expect someone to insult you. But hospice nurses take it. They take the insults. Because they understand that they do not know what they are saying. Wow. And when you talk about love becoming incarnate, taking form, taking shape, I think this is about the closest that you get is these hospice nurses who go through their share of abuse and still do everything they can to ensure that person's comfort in those final hours and those final days of life. A remarkable group of people. And I sometimes wonder, because here down in the Los Angeles area, I've, I've met so many people who have started hospices. And you start wondering, like, you know, what's the quality control? Are they are they checking to making sure people are, are good? I, you have to wonder about this. But, you know, every time I've run into a situation where there's a hospice worker just incredible the care that they have the love that they have in their heart and the way that they deal with people at their most vulnerable hour of their life I wanted to start off today with this because what a week it's been we had our reclaim conference last Saturday it was over and above what we expected I mean, we've done now, this is the fifth year that we've done it, and each year has had a different, including last year when we had to cancel because of the pandemic. And by the way, today is exactly one year ago today that the World Health Organization declared the coronavirus, COVID-19, as a pandemic. Yeah. And life has sure changed, hasn't it? Usually it takes a while, doesn't it, to change this much? But it has. And so we met in the middle of this pandemic as a church. And we talked about issues of faith. 
issues of life and death in a post-pandemic world. Like it or not, we're in, uh, we're in a pandemic world that is not going back to the old form. Yeah, there might be different comforts that, we co- that, that we're able to regain, reclaim from the old, old world, old life, but it'll never be the same because so much has changed. And I'm not talking about the physical changes, but the psychological, the eerie changes, the ones that we know that we are now vulnerable, that these small microscopic little viruses can bring down economies, can bring down people. That's a bigger, uh, that, that's a bigger menace than people give it credit. And it's only now that we're starting to look at it because we're starting to analyze. We're starting to think about it. Where are we? This to me was very important to do this Reclaim conference this year. Because as, as we're seeing, the world is going on. And here we are as a church. What has been the one thing that you take away from the next step? What we try to do is we try to make the connections. We try to connect the dots between what was said 2,000 years ago, 20,000 years ago, whatever the case may be, connect the dots between all of eternity and today. In other words, today we stand here because of something that has happened in the past. And we are connected to ancient and eternal truths that are timeless, that were expounded on by Jesus Christ himself. And those messages of Christianity come to us 2,000 years later, still as fresh, still as new, talking to us today. But they need a platform from which they can express themselves. This is what we're not giving. I have been to too many Bible studies where I have walked away completely, totally disappointed. And I'm, I'm really fearing that people are hiding under this name Bible study. They, you know, you think about it, um, go and talk to, uh, whether you have a priest, you have a minister, whoever you have, you say, what programs do you have? They'll tell you, well, we have a Bible study and people create Bible study. And what is the, what is the purpose of it? What is it? Is it to teach the teachings of the Bible? And if so, which teachings? Because obviously we're not teaching the entire thing, Right. We take bits and pieces and we start justifying one piece by the other. And I got to tell you, I'm very, very disappointed because when you listen to Bible studies, they're not presenting something beautiful, something new. They're not presenting to you the kingdom of God. You know, today, as I was doing my Lenten journey, I was uh, reading in the gospel of Luke and I came across this one passage the law and the prophets were in effect until john came this is jesus talking he says the law and the prophets were in effect until john came since then the good news of the kingdom of god is proclaimed and everyone tries to enter it by force but it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter in the law to be dropped So we've got something really kind of uh, contradicting over here, don't we? Until the time of John, the law and the prophets, right? The law and the prophets were in effect. Then in the next sentence, 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one stroke of the letter in the law will be dropped. Hmm. Sounds confusing to me. But we're not interested in solving these confusions. You go to Bible study and it's always an apologetic, trying to justify what what we have uh, in the what we have and that it somehow fits. And so the way they they address it is by saying, "Well, you know what Jesus meant here." We can go and look at Paul. We could read what Paul had said over here. We can go back into the Old Testament and Jesus said this. And we fail to see just some of the most simplest explanations for this. Namely, that these were written down by scribes. And that they come to us in very raw forms. I've shared this with you in the past. That punctuation makes a big difference, doesn't it, right? The, the placement of a punctuation mark, comma, period, exclamation point, question mark, whatever it may be, the positioning of that mark makes a big difference. For instance, Jesus up on the cross, right? He's, he's between two robbers, right? And what, one of them turns to him and says, um, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turns to him and says, Today I tell you that you will be in paradise. And um, and people say, well, what happened? Thursday, weren't you up in paradise? And now you're down here. Oh, c- confusion, confusion. Okay, listen. Listen to this really carefully. The ancient language in which this was written, handwritten, had no punctuation marks. Had no punctuation marks. So don't you think that there's a difference? Listen, I'll, I'll read the, 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 the words without punctuation. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, don't you think that that comma matters where it is? Truly, I tell you, comma, today you will be with me in paradise. That's one. Or, truly, I tell you today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. Two different meanings, right? True, comma, today you will be with me in paradise. Truly I tell you today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. Two different meanings, right? And it solves the problem. But we don't do this. We sit around and we start we start arguing about look, what did uh, Paul say and what did James write and who, what about the Pharisees and let's go look at the nomadic tribes that were there. These are all nice ways of looking and understanding and certainly there is there is something to be said about biblical scholarship entering it. That's fine, you know. And certainly your wonder is also important. But sometimes, you know, Occam's razor, given a a multiple number of uh, solutions or different ways of perceiving something, the simplest explanation, right? Sometimes the simplest ones. I think I shared with you last week, when you look at the... um, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Well, why? You know, again, I've heard many, many Bible studies. In fact, I've I've done Bible studies where we've gone 
And we've looked at different scriptures. And why would Jesus say this? You know why Jesus said this? Because he was talking to people who got it. They were mourning. They were being persecuted. They were working for peace. And this meant something to them. And I said this uh, Saturday in my speech. You know, we are consumed with first world problems. Case in point, which vaccine am I going to get? The Pfizer vaccine? The Moderna vaccine? The Johnson & Johnson vaccine? And today they announced that a fourth vaccine would be available probably in about a month's time. And this is a first world problem, right? The people, these poor people that Jesus was talking to, upon which we build our faith, were very simple people who understood what it meant to take a seed and plant it. And understanding that that seed has to die in the earth. And then it will produce its harvest. How simple is that? How simple is that? When we look at Jesus saying, He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What, what are we talking about? Hating and everything. Thinking about who he's talking to and now trying to understand okay well we live in a first world we live in a different set of conditions and so how are those lessons supposed to apply to me I mean, tell me, this is what we've been doing with the next step. These are the dots that we try to connect. We try to make, when I talk about relevancy, it's not like we're trying to overthrow scripture. No, we're trying to figure out how can we say this? Jesus says the first will be last and the last will be first. What is that supposed to mean? Well, for the group of people he was talking to, it meant that the, well, the meek shall inherit the earth. And, and he used a wide variety of means of communication, namely through parables, through metaphors, through explanations. For instance, the, the first will be last and the last shall be first. I mean, think about what, how we could explain it today. And I, I'm sure you can all identify with this, okay? Today we have high-rise buildings, high-rise structures, right? Now, think about it. In those times, they didn't. So this metaphor that I'm going to tell you has absolutely no connection with the, with the gospel, with the uh, times of Jesus, but it is a metaphor by which we can understand something that he says. For instance, and this has happened to me, I'm sure it's happened to you, right? You on the, you're, you're on one of the top floors of a building. Let's say you're on the 12th floor of a building. And you get into an elevator. You're the first person in. Yes, you're fat city. You're going to go down. But the elevator stops on the 11th floor, 10th floor, 9th floor. And people start coming into the elevator. And guess what? When you get to the floor, level one, ground floor. Uh, I'm dating myself. I remember we used to have elevator conductors. Yeah, believe it or not. They had like an up and down thing, you know. Ground floor, they'd tell you. Yes. Anyway, you get to floor one. Okay, it lights up. Now, what happens? You're at the back of the elevator. The guy who got onto the elevator at floor two, the last person to get on is the first person to get off. And you, who were the first person in, are the last to get out. Do you think Jesus would have used this kind of metaphor to explain something greater, something bigger? I think he would. 
It's an example that makes sense to you and me living in the 21st century with high-rise buildings that have these shafts uh, that, that, uh, that, uh, that contain an elevator, a little cubicle by which people go up and people go down these high-rise buildings. It makes sense to us. It's like when Jesus talks to the people about I am the good shepherd. The people there understood what a shepherd was. Yeah, we have a concept of what a shepherd is, but do you understand the relationship between a shepherd and his sheep? That the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd and know to come. They understand the voice of the shepherd. That's a dynamic That's a dynamic that if you didn't know about sheep and shepherds, you wouldn't understand. When Jesus turns to the people, the agrarian society that he's in, and he tells them a grain of wheat has to fall and die, they understand that the grain of wheat dies and therefore it produces a harvest. And in that dying, we understand the metaphor can give us room to talk about he who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Hating the life in the context of a seed dying. Ooh, now I get it, right? What I'm getting at is each time has uh, has its moment, has its conditions for which you have to talk about. And you have to be able to understand and and grab Jesus's message the Christian message is timeless it is timeless it pertains to every time what's necessary is for us to give that platform from which that story can have a life of its own and certainly if Jesus was going to talk to me today face to face he wouldn't use a story which had no meaning or relevance to me. I mean, that's been that's been our, our mission, right? To connect those dots and find relevance. Okay, I have to share this with you. Last Saturday, we had the Reclaim Conference. Now, I'm going to talk more about it later, but I, because we're talking about this idea of relevance. My son Christopher was a panelist on one of the panels talking about faith and action and how we move forward, especially in light of the war in Artsakh. And he shared a most incredible metaphor that, I, you know, because he's an engineer, because he's, his life has been in the Armenian church, it kind of fit. And he even prefaced this with it, that as an engineer, he couldn't help but think of this. But I want to share it with you because it's really exactly what we're talking about right here. It's really been the entire cause of armadoxy, right? Making the church relevant for our lives today. Listen to what he said. I mean, it's so profound. I'm not picking on him because he's my son. It's just really a profound message. He likened the church experience, the faith experience, or he used the metaphor of a chess game. And he said, the Armenian church is our queen. She's omnidirectional. And arguably the most powerful piece we have. One of our duties is we must defend and support her. Unfortunately, it is also the one piece that most of us have not been using to her full potential. 
<laughs> I tell you, it's profound. I mean, yes, obviously you'd have to know something about a game of chess to understand this. And once you know chess, the the game, you know that, yes, the queen is omnidirectional. It is the most powerful piece, arguably, because some people will take out a queen right at the beginning and then live up to the challenge of winning the game without a queen. So it's arguable, but yes, it is the most powerful piece. And yet, we don't know how to use it unless you're a real chess master or something. You really don't know how to use it to its full potential. And it's a metaphor. It's a way of explaining something very complex in terms that we understand. It's what we try to do. And I really applaud him. I, I was just in awe when he said it, as were many people. And again, not Forget about the relationship, although I'm so proud of that when I hear that. But but I hope you can understand where I'm coming from. The message of Christ is always there, but the platform from which it proceeds to us, to our hearts, to our ears, to our being, that needs to be adjusted. That platform has to be something on which we're all walking on so that it has an impact in our lives today. That's what the reclaim is all about. I'm going to tell you all about that and also about another champion, another hero. Um, Pope uh, Francis was in Iraq today, and I want to share some thoughts about that. And I'm going to share some thoughts about an experience of a refugee from a church meeting. Maybe we'll start with that when we get back. But every week we take a little break and we do a song of the day. I'm going to play for you something very special. It's called um, Waiting for My Real Life to Begin. It is by Colin Hay. I've never heard this song before, but the other night we had a little bit of time and we said, let's watch a movie. Opened up Netflix and this is exactly how it happened it was the featured movie and i was just too tired to say should we watch it should we not watch it and it had a cute title it was called penguin bloom i said let's watch can't be too bad i'm so tired i'm not gonna do it. literally turned on netflix and put this on press the button it was such a good movie that I highly, highly recommend it to everyone. Penguin Bloom. And at the end, as we're sitting in tears, this is the song, Colin Hay, Waiting for My Real Life to Begin.
say Be still, my love Open up your heart Let the light shine in Don't you understand I already have a plan I'm waiting for my real life why I know this song it was at the end of a beautiful movie called Penguin Bloom it's on Netflix I'll put a link on not only for this show uh, excuse me not only for this song but also for the movie please if you got some time it is I highly recommend it it's a little bit difficult to watch there are some um, difficult moments in there but I'll tell you, it, it was just a beautiful, beautiful movie. And if you do watch it, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you thought of it. Song again, Waiting for My Real Life to Begin. Colin Hay is the artist. I'll have a link on today's show notes. Uh, did you think that it escaped us that the number of this particular of this particular episode of the next step 
is 666. Did it go by without me noticing? Of course not. 666, the mark of the beast. And the next step has reached that point of having a 666th episode. And guess what? Are you ready for this? It's during the 13th year. year of production. Ah! Wow. 13. 666. The numbers! Should we have skipped this one? You know, we were just talking about elevators, weren't we, right? You know that some of the buildings, I don't know if they still this tradition, but back when we were writing elevators, yes, Some buildings just avoid the 13th floor. There is no 13th floor in some buildings. It's just an old superstition. They got rid of it. So it would go from the 12th to the 14th floor. No, no, no. There wasn't anything in between. It wasn't like they'd leave space there. No, heaven forbid. Although it's kind of a nice idea. You can make the the offices in the 12th floor have high-rise ceilings, right? (laughs) No, but they would uh, go from um, uh, 12 to 14. Particularly hotels would do this. Uh, hotels would, Big hotels would do this. I, I guess because customers just didn't want to stay on this 13th floor. It kind of makes you think, like, should we have renumbered today's episode? You know, just like avoided it, 666. Or we could have just played it off as another number because, well, it's not just another number. It is the mark of the beast. But it did have some numerological meaning and connection with the Emperor Nero. And we know that. And we know that it was something quite different than what most people will make you believe it is. And so this is episode number 666 of The Next Step with no apologies. And that's definitely not what I wanted to talk to you about. couple things I want to talk to you about. First of all, we did the reclaim. It was just an incredible weekend. I'm happy to tell you that I spent yesterday going through the videos and those are now available. If you did not see Reclaim, if you were not at Reclaim, I want to invite you and this is, I'm letting you know they they are all on the In His Shoes uh, YouTube channel. Please check them out. Find some time. Uh, each one has its own merits. Yeah, some of it's hard. It's a, You're basically uh, an outsider watching a Zoom meeting. That's how it is. I've got to be honest with you. The quality is Zoom quality. But if you're into podcasts, the the soundtrack alone, just forget about the imagery. You know, seriously, just turn off um, the image and just listen to it. Since you're already used to podcasts, you know, here you go. It, they're, they're fantastic. The speeches... But most impressive for me was the young people and their ability to articulate. Yeah, not everyone, not everyone, but there was just such a good spirit, a good spirit of articulation. And I remember sitting next to the archbishop and 
he leaned over to me and, and he said something which really made me so happy because it's something that you know we need to we need to celebrate really and he said the 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 faith among the young kids among the young people among the youth he says is, is so alive he says it's not a philosophy it's a living faith and isn't that true isn't that one of the greatest testimonials that we can give to the young people. For me, it was just exciting to see the young people talking and, and sharing their ideas because, you know, I, I've advocated for this for many years that the young people have something to say. They're not the future of the church. What a ridiculous statement that is, that the youth are the future of the church. That means they are not part of the today. Of course they are. They're not ghosts. They're not abstract beings. They're, they're out there. They're real. And they were talking. That's the strength of the Reclaim Conference. Listen, I'm not going to go into more details about it because it is now all available online. And there's a link on today's show notes. You need to go there and you need to see it. There's more to read about it. There's more to, to, to find out. I'm just very thankful that I'm part of it and that we have this opportunity to produce the Reclaim Conference. Now, that was juxtaposed next to this meeting that I had to go to, a parish assembly meeting. There's, I'm looking at the clock, not enough time to share with you <laughs> some of the, the frustration that I'd want to share with you, perhaps maybe next week. But suffice it to say that it was right after this incredibly spiritually uplifting event, and then we went down to this administrative function. And so when I tell you that I've had a really wild week, the ups and downs, you know, I, I want you to understand where I'm coming from. An opportunity for me to just think about all of these things. Last night, for instance, was the Michink. Michink is the midway point of Lent. Actually, midway is really last weekend, but first, I think it's more of Michink is midway between the beginning of Lent and um, Easter Sunday. So anyway, last night was uh, Michink. Wednesday night, and the Archbishop asked that all the priests get together and we do a meeting online, and we shared with one another. Didn't matter what it was; it was just had to come from each of us. So, as the as as our turn came, we would either pronounce a prayer, um, a scriptural reading, a story, an inspirational story. But one of our priests shared with us a shadagan, a hymn. And the, the this story that was expressed in the hymn was just so beautiful. And it became a reminder once again that, you know, we have rich treasures. And it, and it reminded me of this very sacred mission and ministry that we have, whether it's through the next step or in issues. It's, it's about, you know, taking those prayers and applying it to our lives. And every prayer, every hymn, every scripture is about God's infinite love about what we talked about, that agape, and translating that for our lives today, not as something abstract or not as something remote in history, but living it out today. And so sitting through that meeting this week, I just realized, yeah, it's good that we need to get 
out of that environment. And really, we're ready for an overhaul because, you know, there's people, especially the young people. We heard that this week in the Reclaim. The young people who were saying that we want spiritual dimension to our lives. And and these things that we talk about with bylaws and things like that, these are necessary to govern an organization. And I think when I say overhaul, we need to get into some kind of pattern where there can be a group of people that can professionally administer those uh, the rules and regulations and leave some of the real work to uh, the, the real work when I say that. I, I'm qualifying all this today because I, I know I'm going to hear from it, but listen to me, okay? The, the real work for the church is not about um, becoming bylaws expert or becoming um, legal experts. The real work of the church, if it was a law firm, I'd say something completely different. But the real world work of the church is to be out there with the people and bringing the presence of Jesus Christ into the lives, making the kingdom of God alive. So imagine this experience that I had when I said in the the week in the life of this priest, okay? So we're with the young people. They're talking. They're articulating their faith. The next day I'm with with, with a group that is looking at bylaws and has really excluded the faith and make it marginalized it and said that that belongs in the church, but we're here to look through these things. And, And then thinking about my position for the last four or five years being outside of that parish life, and having this opportunity to really expand the ministry and given this golden gift um, to be able to to share the, the gift that, that my primate gave to me and said, yes, go ahead and exploit these areas of the ministry and to be able to do that. So all this is happening and I'm trying to reconcile all of these different feelings that I have and then put on top of it also that it happened to be that Pope Francis went to Iraq right last Saturday, the same time that we were doing Reclaim, he was in Iraq. And so it was in the back of my mind, okay? As we're doing Reclaim, I'm thinking, okay, what is he doing now? And what's going on? And what is the purpose? Because it goes back to what I was sharing with you earlier today and last week that the scriptures come alive when you understand this. The, the setting in which, for instance, the Beatitudes, they had certain meaning to people because these people were mourning because these people were suffering. And again, Occam's razor, given all the different uh, explanations, go for the easiest one. The easiest one to understanding the Beatitudes is to understand the people, the audience. These people were hurting. And so this message spoke to them. And one of the Beatitudes, as we remember, is blessed are the peacemakers for what? They will be called children of God. Peacemakers, children of God. Now think about this. It's an A. If A equals B, then B equals A, right? Therefore, to be a child of God, you have to be what? A peacemaker. If you want to be a child of God, you have to be a peacemaker. And we're seeing Pope Francis do exactly that. He went to Iraq to make peace. 
That was the mission. That was the reason why he went to Iraq to make peace. Now, uh, Pope Francis, as you know, as as this is recent history, we saw him become Pope. As we know in the Roman Catholic tradition, just as in our tradition, a priest gets a new name assigned to him by the ordaining bishop. In the Roman Catholic tradition, when a cardinal is elevated to pope, he has the choice of taking on a new name. So his name used to be Jorge, or or anglicized it would be George, right? Um, Jorge, who took on the name Francis. And it was uh, the the... The, the saint that he looked up to. Now, Fra- Francis, of course, uh, there's only one saint in the Catholic Church. Actually, only one pope that has had that name, and that's why this one is Pope Francis I. Uh, unlike the Armenian tradition where we say the first, actually, it's it's the correct way. It's just, you, you don't say first, right? First only has meaning when there's a second. So the first is just... Francis. And so Pope Francis um, took on the name of St. Francis, St. Francis of Assisi, and we know him as the patron saint of animals. I know that down the street from us there's a Catholic church that on October 4th celebrates Pope uh, St. Francis Day, and the local neighborhood kids, everybody takes over their pet animals and they get uh, blessed over there. Um St. Francis, the patron saint of animals, of nature, of natural things. But what you may not know is that in the 12th century when he lived, he would be a contemporary of St. Nerses Schnorradi. And I say that because you got to wonder about that time. What was it about that time that just made these these giants of the church? Um, yeah, something for another discussion. But St. Francis... 12th century saint, he um, met with Muslim leader. Now, unlike the Christian communities or, say, like the Catholic Church that has its pope, the Muslim community does not have, you know, a, a pope, a central figure like that. But they do have Ayatollah. And so there is a story and there is a beautiful tradition, so much so that there are even statues and figurines and there are um, carvings and different kinds of art art that celebrate the meeting of St. Francis, at that time Francis, with one of the heads of the Muslim community. And they brokered a peace agreement, or at least uh, spoke to each other so that they could avoid more killings and live in more harmonious manner. So Pope Francis goes now in the 21st century and he goes to Iraq and he meets with the Ayatollah there. The Ayatollah who listened to this, I mean, for the last 10 years has not been granting any interviews. And he was, uh, I think he was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. He's done incredible work over there. 
in in Iraq. But of course, you know that there's been killings of the the Christian community, and it's a very very complex story that I don't want to get into the details. What I do want to get into, and definitely, yes, I will have links on today's show notes so you can read more about it. I'm sure you've been reading about it. You've been uh, seeing some of the footage that's been shot there. But what's so beautiful is he goes and he meets with the Ayatollah in his humble home. And it says that he had to bow down to to get in through the door. It was one of those small little doorways. He goes in and the Ayatollah stands for him, stands up. This, This is two brothers meeting, you know. And I shared this with you several years ago when... He, he went to Armenia and met with the Catholicos, you know. It's that brotherly love that is important. And he goes there. Remember in Armenia, and I, I made the parallel that if you think about it, the two brothers getting together, uh, th- these were descendants of, of a group of 12 men, 12 men who knew Jesus so intimately and were with him. And the apostolic tradition. And now we're seeing it. He's in Iraq. He's meeting with the Ayatollah. And the Ayatollah stands for him. They share in a conversation. Uh, They meet with other leaders. He does zigzagging across the country uh, against all kinds of difficulties too you know you got to remember pandemic is still on you got to remember that there's suicide bombers and they say that the Iraqi government really really took care of the security very well very tight security but he makes a point of bringing peace he even meets with the three abrahamic traditions and talks about the greatest evil in the world is when there is no tolerance there is no love with the greatest evil being this inability to love one another i mean how beautiful is that blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children of god That's how simple it is. And we don't need to complicate it anymore. Sometimes when we look at all the things that are going on in the world, we we wonder why do we need Bible studies that have to dwell into so many different little areas when the story is really a simple one, isn't it? Think about it. Yes, we do need those little reminders, and those stories certainly do that. But the main essential goal is Jesus Christ who came said, Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That was the commission with which he came to earth, so that there would be peace on earth and goodwill toward men. One towards another. And and look at the Pope. Look what he's doing. He's going into areas where it's very dangerous, and he's preaching a very simple message of brotherly love, of let's be at the top and start talking about love. Let me read this. Pope on Iraq visit decries violence in the name of God as the greatest blasphemy. I mean, how easy is that, right? I mean, if you're saying you believe in God... And you're, you're doing violence and you're killing people. That's the greatest blasphemy there is. Pope Francis walked down a narrow alleyway in the holy city of Najav to hold a historic meeting 
with Iraq's top Shiite cleric and visited the birthplace of the prophet Abraham on Saturday to condemn violence in the name of God as the greatest blasphemy. The interreligious event, one in a dusty, built-up city with the other on a desert plain 200 kilometers away, reinforced the main theme of Pope's risky trip to Iraq, that the country has suffered far too much and the killing has often been sectarian. From this place where faith was born, this is his quote, from the land of our father Abraham, let us affirm that God is merciful and the greatest blasphemy is to profane his name by hating our brother, by hating our brothers and sisters. Francis said at the ancient site of Ur where, uh, where Abraham was born. And it doesn't get any better than this, right? So why do we complicate it? Is it because we, we just need to complicate it? These are the thoughts that I had throughout this whole week when I listened to young people sharing their ideas of what faith is about and what they need. And, you know, when you listen to it, I hope you'll take some time and listen to it. You'll, you'll see that there's traces of, you could see where they're leading. And I don't want to be critical, but you could see where a lot of baggage comes in, too. And this very simple message is a message that we need to start proclaiming more efficiently. Get it out. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called children of God. You want to be a, a, a child of God? You have to be a peacemaker. You have to make peace. All right, let's call it a day right there. I hear the pianist is coming. Here's Susie Maker announcement. I'll be back with some parting shots. again, popping in to say thank you to you, our listeners. We are thankful for your prayers, kind expressions, and donations. You make this podcast possible. Your listenership and support has allowed us to grow and expand our ministry around the globe. We are grateful to be able to touch so many lives and create lasting friendships. At epostle.net, we are determined to bring apostolic evangelism to an electronic world and look forward to your continued support. Thank you and God bless. We now return to this week's Next Step with Father Vosgan. Thank you, Susie, for that announcement. Thank you, all of you listeners, for all the love, the support, the wonderful messages that you send my way. And as I say I, all the time, I'm so fortunate to be able to have this ministry where I could share some thoughts, some insights, and some of these feelings that that that, that bother us in a good way. They bother us and they, they perpetuate, they stimulate a thought, prayer. They stimulate our interaction with one another to have conversations about things that are meaningful. So I thank all of you for your support of this ministry. I want to point you to, let's see, this Sunday I will be at St. Gregory. I know last week I told you I would be at St. Gregory. Uh, something came up at the very last minute and I had to go to St. James, which is in the Los Angeles area from Pasadena. It was about a, maybe a, a 30 minute ride. But this Sunday, 
If all goes well, yes, I should be there. We're starting a little bit early, 10.15 with uh, sunrise service, and 11 o'clock we will have the Divine Liturgy. I'll put a link on today's show notes, and you can check it out. Finally, just one more time, I want to remind you to check out the show notes and hook up with all the things that we have available, and they're there for yours for the taking, including our daily Lenten journey. I know, it's like we're already at day 24, 25. You could do it. You could binge. You know you how you binge on, on a movie or something? Yeah, on a series? Yeah, just binge. Just sit there and go through 25 days and you'll be caught up. Okay. <laughs> on behalf of Susie, our producer, Ken, our technical director, this is Father Boskin, inviting you to join us again next week when we will take the next And now here's the fine print. The information and comments presented within this podcast and our website do not necessarily represent the views of the Armenian Church hierarchy, but are presented as a challenge to define the dynamics of Armenian Orthodoxy in all aspects of life. Listening to these shows is habit-forming. Addictive behavior associated with the next step is rarely, if ever, remedied. Rather, the next step is known to relieve and cure common cases of narrow-mindedness, prejudice, numbskullness, and glaucoma in patients over the age of 20. Results may vary depending on credit rating. Findings are based on double-blind studies conducted in Istanbul and Jerusalem. Side effects include mind expansion, clarity of focus, higher rates of heart palpitations, sensitivity to the pain of others, and occasional nausea. The management and projection crew vpostle.net take full responsibility for changes you will experience. Not valid with any other offer. Take your flashcard out!